Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy. And occasionally we hear from you, our listeners, about things that we should address, things that we may have missed, things that we may have thought that we hit on and didn't. And some combination of those things here is today's episode. A couple of months ago, we had done an episode on pregnancy as a therapist. And we had made a brief mention within that episode about infertility and kind of thought that we had done within the context of that episode, a recognition of a certain segment of clients who may struggle with some of the things that we had talked about in that episode. When we had recorded that episode, we had the very good intentions of helping out the segment of our listeners who may become pregnant during their work. And today's guest reached out to us and said, you know, you're really not doing enough when it comes to infertility. And Katie and I had a longer conversation. We exchanged several messages back and forth with today's guest, Tracy Gilmore Nimoy. She's a reproductive therapist. And we really recognized that yeah, we missed the boat. So very thankful to have somebody help bring that boat back to us. And <laughs> bring the boat back to us? Okay, it, we missed we missed the boat, yes. So bringing the boat back. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Tracy. Yeah, thank you for having me. Happy to bring the boat back with you guys. And just thank you so much for being so receptive and open to that feedback. I'm really excited to be here. Well, and I, I think for me... And even as I'm talking, I'm deciding how much I'm going to say, uh, because mm-hmm. it is a very personal topic to me. Yeah. Kurt, you said that we said we thought we had covered it, but we, but I didn't. And, and I realized in the, even in the episode that I was remaining silent and not, not addressing things that I needed to address. I didn't feel like I could say anything because I would then be disclosing my own infertility journey. And I feel very bad that we didn't cover it. And so I didn't expect to get emotional right from the beginning. (laughs) Maybe I should have practiced. I felt so relieved when you reached out to us and said that because it validated my experience of feeling like we had missed something, that we hadn't said all the things, that it was something that we had allowed to stay silent. And it was something that actually, as you and I talked about, ended up in my therapist's office. So thank you very much. 
And <laughs> it was something where we were able to talk through why I remained silent while, why, even though I am someone who likes to talk about really hard conversations and about people who are often marginalized, I did not disclose my own fertility journey. I did not disclose my own struggles in this area, nor did I make sure that we addressed it in that conversation. And so I'm going to quickly turn this over because I don't want this to be about me, but our conversation was very powerful and I, I really want, and, and I'm very pleased that you were able to join us and talk about not just infertility, which I can, I can join in and talk about that as, at least as far as the yeah. gaps and services, but also in uh, pregnancy and infant loss and, yeah. and, and how much as a society, we are silent on these topics and oftentimes extremely I'm not thinking the right word here, but just insensitive to that journey mm -hmm. and, and dismissive of that journey. And so thank you so much for being willing to speak up, because as I listened to the episode again, I realized how triggering it was and why I did not speak up. <laughs> and thank you so much for being willing to share your, your, your information here. And as I'm sure you know, since you listened to the podcast, the first question mm -hmm. we ask for everyone is, who are you and what are you putting out in the world? Yeah. Well, first, I just want to thank you for being vulnerable and sharing. And I think that the listeners will connect to your experience because, you know, fertility and pregnancy loss, reproductive health is such an isolating experience. Yes. And the way that we talk about it in the medical world, in the mental health world, and so, you know, within social media is very isolating. And so I think that people will, you know, that will resonate with people. And it's mm -hmm. important to even just say like, Hey, this is hard. And it's hard for me to talk about too. I think Katie, know, when we originally met, I shared like, gosh, I, I wrote that out. I, I sat with it. I, I kind of went back and forth. And then I was like, you know what, like there are people that feel the same way. And so thank you for opening up the conversation. I really appreciate it. So who am I? Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lot of things. Um, you know, one of the big things is I'm a therapist. It's a really important part of who I am and my identity. And I recently, you know, shifted my clinical focus. So, you know, this time last year, I was just about eight months pregnant with my first child. I was getting ready to go on maternity leave. I was really excited about all of those challenges. And then in the third trimester, we ended up losing the baby. And so I had to go through a pretty quick process of being induced and go through this delivery. And aside from just the grief that comes with losing a child, I had a lot of medical trauma. I had a very, you know, sort of traumatic delivery and through that had trouble getting the therapy that I needed, had trouble getting the medical care that I needed and that lack of trauma-informed care and the awareness of, hey, there are some huge service gaps here is what motivated me to shift my focus a little bit. As the one person on this podcast who, in my relationships, we have not had infertility issues yeah. or these kinds of things. So I will be the learning wanderer through this episode. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> And hopefully helping our listeners who might be mm -hmm. in my position be more sensitive to creating the kind of environment to where these kinds of mistakes aren't made. What kinds of mistakes do people yeah. like me and other listeners mm -hmm. in my position make? So that way we can stop making <laughs> those mistakes. Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, and, I, and I do think, too, it's important to mention that I don't think there's malintent. 
I don't think doctors have malintentions. I don't think therapists, I don't think people, we just don't know and we don't talk about it. So it's hard to know. So I really appreciate you asking, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, having these conversations and not assuming that everybody's experience is the same. So not assuming that, you know, someone doesn't want kids if they don't have them, not assuming that they do want kids. And so just sort of like asking and asking if it's okay to ask. You know, we ask so many of these personal questions and, you know, sometimes people don't want to talk about them. It's not their business. And so I think just opening up the dialogue is the biggest way to learn and change that. It's so interesting that you say that because I think I've gotten very snarky in that response, you know, <laughs> Yeah. and I, I won't go into it because it's, you know, I'm, I'm not in therapy right now, uh, but <laughs> I think kind of magnifying that, I think that there is a privateness to whether it's infertility, yeah. miscarriage, pregnancy loss, infant loss. And I don't know if there's preferred terms there. Cause I, yeah. I, I actually did not go into that because I didn't feel like yeah. I could treat clients. And it seems like you've been able to, to make that shift pretty quickly. And yeah. so that's very impressive. But I think that there's, there's such a privacy that, that there's a lot of assumptions made about whether, whether someone is a parent, whether they should be a parent, mm-hmm. And I, and I, I appreciate you saying that because I think that there's so much that can be triggering yeah. with that, you know, asking a question like, oh, do you have kids is a question mm-hmm. that everyone asks and it can be very right. triggering. Right. And, and in your case, and I don't know how much of your story you want yeah. to tell, sure. but yeah. very traumatizing to yeah. think about that. Yeah. I mean, I remember even because it took us almost a year to get pregnant. And people would be like, oh, well, when are you going to have kids? And like, I'd be like in my head, like, oh my gosh, like I desperately am trying to have kids. But it's like, I just met you. Like, why are you asking me that question? You know, like, it's so, it's like so weird. It's like, hi, how are you? When are you having children? Like, I would never ask that to someone. It's so weird. And then it is weird too, like now being asked a follow-up question of like, oh, do you have kids? And I always say, yes, I do. And I'm like, I do respond sort of like in a snarky manner too. And my husband is sometimes like horrified by that. I'll be like, oh, well, my baby died because, you know, I'm not stripped of the title of being a mom because she's not here with me. I think that's the other thing too, is people always say like when there's a loss, oh, you'll be a mom one day. And it's like, that's so dismissive of everything that I'm going through. It's so dismissive of my grief. Like if my parent were to pass, would you say you're not a child anymore? Like, no, I'm still someone's child. And so why do we do that in terms of like pregnancy and infant loss? It's so weird that we do that. So much of this is just kind of societal expectations as far as like you're, you're, of childbearing age, you're. Man, right. I sound I sound like Dwight Schrute from The Office all of a sudden. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, but there are these expectations of like, right? You're of this age. This is the normal conversations for anybody else. That because this seems to be so taboo, that there isn't any mm-hmm. sort of roadmap other than like you either ask or you're completely silent because somehow as adults, we don't know how to relate to each other unless it's asking about these societal expectations. Right. Yeah. And I think too, it's like in the way that we ask, like even in like a completely quote unquote normal trying to conceive period, pregnancy, delivery, and postpartum, those things are really, really challenging. I haven't met anyone who's had a perfect everything, but the way that we talk about these things is like with rose tinted lenses. And that can be really harmful too. Like I'll, I'm working with a lot of women now who like have postpartum depression or anxiety. 
And they come and they feel so dismissed by providers because they should feel fine. They should be happy. They have a baby. And it's like, why are we assuming that this is like always happy, positive? Sometimes people feel miserable throughout pregnancy, right? They're still happy to be pregnant, but just that doesn't mean that it's still 100% perfect all the time. So it's not so much, I guess, that we can't ask, but it's like about how we ask and are we asking the right questions and are we being mindful and sensitive in the way that we ask? Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate upfront. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. To me, the, the thing that comes up and, and as I'm aging, I start thinking about the whole female journey and right. how so much of it is hidden. I am not yet entering menopause, but I don't know much about it. And it seems right. weird to me. And it's so, weird. And, and I know that's outside of the topic. So I will re, you know, refocus, but I think. No, but it's, is, it is in the topic. But it's just, it's so centered on everything that, that happened to women, that happens to women has to be hidden. If it is yes. bad, if it's uncomfortable or, yep. or if it requires bodily fluids, then we're dirty. Yep. Like it's just yep. all of this stuff where it's, it's yep. something where we just can't talk about it and pregnancy and bearing a child, which for a lot of societies potentially still are this way, but have been, that's, that's the woman's purpose. And right. so then it's, it's hidden, it's, it's rainbows and flowers and unicorns and, and from super horrible morning sickness and, and kind of the, right. that kind of stuff, all of those things, all the way through to traumatic preterm births or, or, or pregnancy loss or, right. or you know, kind of having a healthy baby and then getting right postpartum depression, like all of that stuff is not allowed. We can't talk about it. Yeah. And it's such an issue because we're not taught about things that we tend to experience. So it's like, we're not taught about menstruation. Like you're right. We're told that, you know, don't tell anyone they're called sanitary products, which implies that we are dirty. Mm -hmm. And then we're not, no one prepped me like, Hey, here's what to expect during pregnancy. Here's what to expect during your delivery. Here's what to expect during your postpartum period. And so like, I went home I was like sweating through the night. I mean, I had breast milk coming in and and I was like, is this normal? Like, is something wrong with me? I had no idea. And every woman that I've spoken with that has gone through that is like, oh yeah, no one ever like taught me about that. You just learn from other women. And I was like, that's a problem. Like we need to talk (laughs) about it. Yeah. I mean, how are we supposed to, you know, do better if like, we can't even talk about the normal stuff. Like then of course it's a reach to talk about this stuff that happens with loss or fertility challenges. Yeah. And I think the, the piece that 
is doubly challenging is that there's the societal yeah. stuff, you know, everybody is right. supposed to, to be married off with one partner. It's supposed to be hetero. And then it's also supposed right. to have a kids involved. And if that doesn't happen, then somehow you're under a microscope and why didn't you meet one of these milestones? And so that's right. okay. So that's kind of the societal element of it. Right. And then there's just, therapists responding to this or, or even, yeah, or even gaps, gaps within therapist training that, Oh, a hundred percent. They're they're, at least in our master's level programs here in California. It, yeah, this would seemingly fall under the human sexuality course, which is criminally short in the first place. Yeah. (laughs) I don't remember this being a topic discussed at all within that program. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that you said that because I can share with you. I went to school in California too. I went to a, a like a very, you know, well-known accredited by all regards, great program. And I did not receive one class in fertility, um, you know, pregnancy, postpartum at all. I did not receive any training and I received like a pretty thorough training to kind of get um, like a taster of each, pretty much each population, but this, and then I went through my own experience and had such a hard time finding qualified therapists. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I have to specialize in this because no one knows how to support these families, these people who are going through this. And I actually wrote a letter to my graduate program to the Dean. And I said, Hey, you know, the program is so great. Here's everything that I love about it, but I wanted to give some feedback about, you know, an area that I think really needs more focus. Like we need to talk about these things. And I went through like some of the statistics, you know, it's like one in eight couples will experience fertility challenges, one in four lot, you know, pregnancies end in a loss. One of four people will have a loss. And so basically um, the response was something to the effect of 70% of our students get a solid lecture in parenting. (laughs) Oh, dear. And uh, I, Ah. you know, it's like parenting, first of all, is completely different. And it also just speaks to the message of we care about the baby and not the mom. And this is so true. The second someone gives birth, it's all about the baby. No one cares about the mom. It's it's the baby, you know, sleeping is the baby feeding. Okay. And it's like, what about the mom? who just went through so many physiological and emotional changes, who's staying up all night, who's running on empty. And you're only asking about the baby. The best thing for the baby is a healthy parent. Yes. And so, yeah, I think there are gaps within like education and training. And that's, you know, with all providers, physicians, if we're not trained in it as mental health providers, you can bet physicians are not trained in it. And that was, one of the biggest things too, is just like the lack of trauma-informed care. I mean, I remember going for a follow-up visit and being placed in a room full of baby photos. I remember being congratulated by multiple providers on the birth of my child. I remember at the hospital, there wasn't a separate reading room for parents, you know, like me who were being induced for a stillbirth. So with all the happy parents, balloons, stuffed animals, smiles, I was wheeled out with moms holding their babies and I was wheeled out without mine. So, you know, just the way that we even support women who are going through a loss is not okay. It's re-traumatizing. You know, people are re-traumatized. And I was re-traumatized consistently throughout the postpartum period. How do we fix this? Like, <laughs> I, like I mean, this is really uncomfortable. So how do we fix it? Yes. yes. I'm going into, yes. into solution mode here because, yes, I, I mean, out of 
in in preparation of this episode, I I did do yeah. some like I'm not coming into this completely blind. And mm-hmm. one of the only things that I've come across is the there's a book by Janet Jaffe, Reproductive Trauma Psychotherapy with Infertility and Pregnancy Lost Clients. This seems to be kind of like one of the only things that's out there. Outside of advocating to programs that don't want to hear us, that don't mm-hmm. want to make institutional changes, you're here, you're helping us broadcast this out to our audience. What other yeah. kinds of ways can we put this to help make it to where such a significant portion of the population is being yeah. re-traumatized so often? Yeah, I think advocacy is key. And it's why I sent that letter to my graduate program. I sent a letter to the hospital and I ended up speaking to like one of the VPs there. And essentially I wrote like a very detailed email, like all the stuff I experienced. And she called me and she said, I read your email every day for a week before calling you and imagined what it would be like if I was you and I would feel the exact same way. And so she shared with me plans to amend some of those things. Um, And then I gave feedback to my doctor about like, hey, don't put a woman who's had a loss in a room full of baby photos, or even a woman who's trying to get pregnant and isn't, you know, prep your staff, have them review the chart before they call and congratulate, right? And if the staff can't say like, hey, I'm so sad or sorry to hear about your loss, like, then they don't say anything, right? Don't have the staff call and be like, how are you? Right? I had people calling me, how are you? well, not great, (laughs) you know? So I think like advocacy is key and, you know, you know, connecting with other providers and training and and advocating for change within the programs because providers are leaving programs ill-equipped to work with this population. And, you know, in our ethics, it's like, we don't only do good, but we have to do no harm and harm has been done. And that is a problem and we need to do better. And I think the the need for advocacy is huge. And of course, I'm I'm with you on that. I think mm-hmm. the the need for education and training and more than just a single book that Kurt's able right. to find on a Google search, because I could not find a therapist. Yeah. I could absolutely not find a therapist. And and I love my therapist, but she doesn't get it. <laughs> right. And and, right. and so it's it's having folks who have lived experience and or yes. who have a, a great level of sensitivity be mm-hmm. able to serve this population because I just think it's so, it's something people don't want to think about. And it's so right. foreign to their own experience that it's hard to get to a place where we can sit with it. And most people want to go to the fixing it, right? Right. Well, you'll get pregnant someday or, or it'll be right. okay. Or, you know, it's that kind of, you know, how do we, how do we, you know, what else have you tried or, or what else, what other steps can you take? Or did you go on vacation? Did you try to adopt? Like, it's like, <laughs> Yes. People, people have a hard time sitting in this constant Mm -hmm. loss. And I I don't know, I don't know, were you the one that wrote the article, kind of this loss of an absence? I don't remember. It's like an absence loss versus a loss loss. I don't know. I'll try to shadow, like the shadow losses, the shadow loss. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. And something to remember is that there's grief and loss at every stage, right? If a woman doesn't have the delivery she wanted, that's a loss. If a woman wanted a girl and has a boy, that's a loss. I mean, there's, there are just losses upon losses upon losses, aside from like a miscarriage or a stillbirth. There are a lot of losses. A lot of people who adopt, there is a, the grief that comes with not being able to have a genetic child. And so it's loss after loss after loss. And 
you know, we don't, we're so anti-grief, anti-pain that we do tend to like go to like, Hey, let me fix it. And some things just can't be fixed. Mm -hmm. And in grief work, the biggest tool I use, because I do a lot of grief work is just holding space and just saying, this is so awful. This is so awful. I wish it was different for you. I can't change that. What I can do is support you and be here with you. And when I say that to people, they're like, oh my gosh, you're the first person who's just said how awful it is. You're the first person who didn't tell me to do this or to do that. And I think that that's the biggest thing to remember is that when someone's grieving, they're not looking for a solution. They're looking for a witness. They're looking for someone to sit with them as they say, oh my gosh, my life exploded. This is so awful. And they're looking for someone to sit with them in that so that they don't feel as alone. Yeah. So I want to get a little bit more specific into yeah. what therapists should know about each mm-hmm. of these stages. And, and just to, to add yeah. to your list of losses, there's also a loss of identity if you don't ever get to be a parent. So I want to yeah. also say that loss yeah. too. So what do therapists need to know about infertility and the fertility process? And I can, I can yeah. support on this one. So totally. Yeah. First? <laughs> I mean, there's so much. And the one thing I will say is that like, even with this like credential, which is fairly new, the certified perinatal mental health professional, which is through postpartum support international. And it's only a thing since 2018. So it just shows yeah. <laughs> the, the gap in the field that there are then subspecialties. So I did go to a therapist who said, yes, I specialize in this, but they didn't really specialize in loss or trauma. And so I really realized that there are, you know, specialties within the specialty. And I think fertility is one of those. So with fertility, one of the most important things to be familiar with is the medical terminology. There are a lot of different treatments and medical intervention. And if you have a client who is going through that, you obviously you're not a doctor, but you need to be familiar with what that entails, because there are some differences. There is a huge financial burden that comes with fertility challenges. It's typically not covered by insurance, which is so infuriating because no one chooses fertility challenges. That's not a choice. And so it's either hundred percent out of pocket in the best case scenario, I've heard of 50% cover, which is still thousands and thousands of dollars. It's the physiological changes that come from hormones. There are hormone treatments being done. It's sometimes surgery of egg retrieval. And so having an understanding of all the medical treatments and then like the emotional toll that all of those things take, because it's not just like a one and done. It's you go and first you run a bunch of tests. And then if you proceed with a treatment, that's, you know, that's a whole nother thing. And then if that doesn't work, there are other treatments. And so it's a very long and exhausting process. And all the while it's a constant two week wait. So it's the two weeks of trying to track ovulation. And then it's the two weeks of taking pregnancy tests. And so it's a constant waiting period. There is no break. There is no reprieve when someone is trying to conceive and they're having difficulty. And so um, being familiar with all of those things. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. And I think the other thing that kind of speaking to the emotional piece is that there's a big focus on 
the, an internal focus on your body and, and what am I doing to make it work? Is this too much exercise on enough exercise? Yeah. You can go down seven different rabbit holes on what you should do for diet, yeah. um, acupuncture. I mean, there's just, there's so many different things and it becomes like your, the, the introspection, I don't think it's very helpful. I, I uncovered after years of this, but I think it's that piece <laughs> of like, okay, am I too stressed? Am I not stressed enough? Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's constantly watching your body yeah. to see if it'll perform a function that increasingly more and more of your friends are able to, to perform. And so right. it becomes this thing of, okay, what's wrong. And I think the other element yeah. that I think is really important is a lot of women have identity as mother and, or right. as being in the process of being mother. And I think, so then there's a lot of times people don't know what to do with women who have infertility. They oftentimes either see them as kind of frittering away their childbearing years and not getting pregnant, not knowing what's happening in yeah. the background because most of us don't talk about it or right. some sort of a, you know, I'm going to be a child free. And there's a judgment if women don't want children that right. I think can also play into that. And, and this could also be a generational thing as, as mm -hmm. I'm a little bit older, but I think that there's, there's this huge emotional element to it of, of identity this yeah. is the, the infertility process is so focused on your body in a way that most people don't focus on in other times. There is an yeah. identity element because you're constantly in this waiting game of will I become what I've been trying to become? And then there's the grief of that not becoming. And, and the, yeah. the thing that I had read at one point, and it was so resonant for me, is and it lives in for those of us fortunate enough to have an extra space that we've allotted to a child it lives in how long do you wait to to resituate that space how, mm -hmm. you know how long do you keep the the quote unquote it's going to be the baby's room before you then turn right. it into an office or a guest room or like fully right. utilize that space i think that that's you know kind of if that picture of this space yeah. that is unformed and that's constantly, you know, not filled is part of it. And, and so I think that is also important to recognize because it, it doesn't go away. I, I have a client where she and I have talked about that, mm -hmm. where even past yeah. childbearing years, there's still that yeah. element of something that never got filled that was missing. Yeah. And there's so much pressure placed on women to have children and to do it within a certain time frame. Yes. I mean, we call, if someone is 35 or older, we label that a geriatric pregnancy, or we call it advanced <laughs> maternal age, which is terrible terminology. And the other thing is too, is the message is your body was created for this. This is natural. Your body yep. will know what to do. And so there's a lot of shame and a lot of the responsibility and the weight is often on a female partner or the partner who is carrying. Yeah. And there's a lot of shame there because it's like, gosh, you see your friends, you, you, you know, that your you know, your mom had a kid and, you know, everyone is pregnant and having children. Like, why can't you do it? And then you put your body through so much. And I always tell people who are struggling with fertility and, or who have experienced a loss, I always say like the parenting doesn't start when you bring a child home from the hospital, the parenting starts prior to even getting pregnant, mm -hmm. because when you're trying to get pregnant, you are oftentimes taking prenatals, you're tracking, I mean, you're doing all sorts of things to prepare. You might want to be in a certain place, you know, in a certain place in your career, you might want to, 
be in a certain financial situation. You might want to have a house, you know? So there are things that we do to parent before that. And then there are things that we do to parent throughout pregnancy. And then of course, after. And I think that that's really important to mention because I think the energy that is put into this gets lost when people don't show up with a living baby. It's like, oh, you're not a parent, you know, you didn't try, you didn't want it. And I think that that's important to mention. What do you think therapists need to know about pregnancy loss and infant loss? Yeah. I, one of the most important things to know is that even if there is a child that comes home, a healthy child does not replace a child that is lost. And so honoring that understanding that that parent is grieving what they likely perceive as the death of their child. And so holding space for that, what can be helpful is helping people to explore traditions to honor that baby that's not here. So whether that's doing something on like the due date, on the delivery date, celebrating something on Mother's Day, you know, it looks different for each person, but there are different ways to sort of honor that child. That's really important. Remembering dates is really important. So when I have a mom who comes to me and there's been a loss, I ask about when the due date was, I ask if there was, you know, a surgery for delivery, or if there was an induction. So, you know, a labor delivery, or if, the baby was delivered, you know, vaginally miscarried. I asked what that date was and I write those dates down and I send them a message on those dates. It's like, Hey, I'm thinking of you. Like, I know this date is extra hard, like, you know, holding you close today, holding you and your baby close today, the language that we use. So immediately when I get a referral, because people will seek me out for this because they want a therapist who gets it. So I think yeah. that's part of the appeal. And the first thing I will say, cause you know, it'll often come like, either in a phone call or email and, you know, they list a lot of information. The first thing I say is I'm so, so sad to hear about the loss of your sweet baby, or I'll say son or daughter. I use whatever language they use asking if there is a name asking how you would, how they would like you to refer to their loss. So I always say, do you want me to say baby? Do you want me to say son? Do you want me to say daughter? Do you want me to use the name? And so asking those questions and the other big ones too, are just sort of like, honoring like their role, like as a parent, if that feels right, if they don't identify as a parent, then, you know, we wouldn't push that, but most of the time they do mm-hmm. and honoring their sort of autonomy in being able to share what they want to share. And if they don't want to share, that's okay too. So there is a lot of guilt that comes with miscarriage and stillbirth where people say like, Oh, I feel like I should be talking about it. Or people ask and it's on me to share. And I always tell people you get to choose. And if today you want to tell the world and if tomorrow you ignore everyone, that's okay. And there, any expectation that's placed on you is not right. This is about you, not the other people. And that's something that I think we struggle with as a society with grief. It's like, we reach out and then we get mad and say, well, I reached out to you and you didn't contact me. And so letting you know people know that it's not about anyone but you and you get to make the call. I think women have such a hard time focusing themselves. And, and I recognize I'm staying in a, in a very gender binary and I apologize for that. I'm very resonant with my own experience. But I think when someone is in the path to having a child, I think there's that expectation yeah. that we will always focus outward and not focus on ourselves. Like I've had to tell people very blatantly, like I often do not go to baby showers. I just can't do it. Yeah. I will never go to one again. You have to support your friend. I'm like, I get that. I can support them in other ways. I don't need to show up to that specific event. And I think I I really appreciate the the conversation Mm -hmm. around people managing their grief in their own way. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I will tell you, I will never go to a baby shower again because I had a baby shower and I had a nursery and I had to strip that nursery. So, you know, it's just something that you don't think about. And I would never want someone to have to do that. So I would give a gift at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, also working with those who've experienced loss, a lot of the time they will try to get pregnant again. And so something that I forgot to mention is understanding that fear of future loss is a trauma response. And so I see this a lot, like in the networking groups where people post like, oh, paranoid mom is, you know, stressed about losing a pregnancy. And then the first question I'll ask, is there a history of loss? Yes. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So like understand. So I tell people like, it's normal to fear recurrent loss. I said, for you, this is not just a fear. It's a lived reality. Of course you are scared. That's okay. And so then it becomes about what can we do to support you? Right. And a lot of times people say, well, I Google. And so it's like, okay. And then they'll say, well, I Google. And sometimes that's helpful. Sometimes that's not. So then it's about like helping them to explore like parameters around that. So it's like, okay, maybe we only Google X amount of time, or, you know, maybe we only look at this source, you know, so you help them to sort of figure out what they need to do so that it, you know, it's not going overboard, but it's still helpful. And something that we didn't mention that's really important is that there's a common pattern of women having a bad feeling throughout pregnancy and being dismissed by medical providers only to end up having a loss. And it's pretty much the story every time someone comes in and there's a lot of research about this. We don't really know why we just know that it happens, that women are in tune with their bodies and they know. And it happened for me the second I found out I was pregnant, I said, something's wrong with this baby. And I was constantly told no, no, no throughout until essentially the end of the pregnancy. And they're like, oh yeah, something's really wrong. And it happens all the time. And then women feel bad, so they don't you know, ask for what they need. And it's just so isolating and devastating. And then when it happens, it's like, oh my gosh, like I was right. And then it becomes a fear of in another pregnancy. Am I scared because I have that bad feeling and I was right before? Or am I scared because this is a trauma? And I have talked about this with my own therapist because obviously she specializes in this too. And I was like, I don't care. I'm going to believe someone if they tell me something's wrong. I don't care if they, if it's, if it's trauma, what is the harm in believing someone? You can still help that, you know, help them to explore, you know, a care plan or, you know, ways that they can feel supported. But honestly, if they have a fear and they feel better having an extra test after having a high risk pregnancy or a loss, why not? <laughs> what is the harm? I just don't, you know, what's the harm? And that's a little bit different. That's important for a therapist to know, because I would say like with other stuff as a clinician, we might be like, okay, like there's some anxiety here. We, we don't want to, you know, appease that or enable that. But I think that that's different when there has been a history of that. Do you have any special considerations or advice for working with partners of people who are going through this process yeah. as well? Yeah, such a good question. And I'm glad you asked because the part, the non-pregnant partner is often forgotten. (laughs) One of the most important things is letting them know that their experience, feelings, and grief is valid, even if it looks different than that of their partners. And oftentimes it will look different and this can create stress within the couple, you know, whether that's through couples therapy or through them, you know, sorting through that 
between the couple without support, having those conversations of this is my experience, like what's yours. And then having understanding that it's okay if they're different, it doesn't negate the other person's experience. And that's pretty common. And then letting the non-pregnant partner know like, Hey, it's not just about the person who delivered or who was pregnant or who carried, you know, this is about you too. It's okay for you to express how you feel. It's okay for you to need or to ask for support, you know, because the non-pregnant partner often feels like they have to sort of like come in and, you know, not express emotion and just sort of show up and their job is to hold it together. And I think like what ends up happening a lot of the time is the person who physically goes through the loss tends to grieve um, at a faster rate. I mean, there's not really like a path for grief and, you know, grief is not linear, but they tend to sort of feel very deeply earlier on. Whereas with the non-pregnant partner, there's often a little bit more withdrawal and then like the processing happens at different paces. And so then like later on, like several months or a year later, the non-pregnant partner might have an experience that the person who went through the pregnancy or delivery had earlier on, if that makes sense. I think just like something that's really important to quickly cover is just how the pandemic has impacted all of this. Um, I know everything is impacted by the pandemic, but something that's unique to reproductive health is that no partners can go to any of the doctor's appointments. And so with fertility think about that. Oh my God. Yeah. So with fertility or loss, women are having to go alone. And there were several appointments that I had to go through alone and just, you know, the trauma and if there's medical trauma that adds to it and have, and anytime there's been a loss to any sort of reproductive appointment can be traumatizing. And so having to do those alone and not having anyone in the room is just so awful. And I understand, you know, I'm all about wearing masks and being safe, but I do wish that we would make exceptions for reproductive health because it's already such an isolating experience. And to have someone who is like going to the hospital for a DNC because they have a miscarriage or to have someone who, you know, is going for fertility appointments to not be able to have someone there with them is so awful. And so I just think it's important that I mentioned that. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge today yeah. and for helping me to talk about my stuff too. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate that. Where can people find you? Yeah. So the best place to find me would be on my website, which is tgntherapy.com. So it's just my initials and then same name for my Instagram. And so I'd love to connect with people so that shoot me an email, follow me on Instagram. And you're, you're writing some pretty amazing blogs. So we'll also link to those blog posts in our show notes, as well as these other Thank you. Yeah. I read a lot about my personal loss and grief and trauma. And I just, the reason I do that is because I looked for stories and I couldn't find them. And I just, I want people to know that if you find yourself here, you're not alone and nothing is wrong with you for being here. And there are others and we're here with you and we're here to support you. And that's why I do it. We'll include links to Tracy's stuff in our show notes. You can find those at mtsgpodcast.com and continue these discussions. You can connect with us on social media. You can join our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group, and we're more than happy to take your feedback as listeners as evidenced by today's show. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy and Tracy Gilmore-Nimoy. Remember to check out Thryzer. 
They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 